0: Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TVWA Shy Day New York. Well, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we're here today with one of the world's most accomplished composer, musicians, and producers. He's a man I like to refer to as the Mozart of Madison Avenue, yet he's so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everyone in between, please welcome the legendary Jonathan Elias to the Disruptor Series podcast. Jonathan, welcome.
1: Wow, with an intro like that, I hope I can uh continue to be Salieri <laughs> on the music front forever.
0: <laughs> well, listen, uh yeah. it's uh it's it's impressive because I read it on Wikipedia.
1: <laughs> and then, you know, it must be true.
0: Well, what, what what people may also uh, not know, although I'm sure a lot of people do know, is that you're the founder of Elias Arts, which uh, is the most awarded music company in the history of broadcast advertising.
1: Well, you know, you live long enough and those awards stack up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you do an amazing job. It's true. It's all true. Uh, thank you. Well, anyway, we, we, we are thrilled to have you uh, on the show because... Uh, there is a disruption in our midst and suddenly that disruption is called sonic branding. I feel like every CMO uh, is talking about sonic branding. Are you are you feeling this uh, moment uh, in in your world? Yes, we are definitely starting
1: to feel like it is taking traction. Obviously, we've been on the forefront of this for I would 20 25 years. But in the last five years, I've noticed a major shift. And I don't know if it's because of all the new um, boxes like Siri and Alexa. And um, the concept of audio is finally becoming a major um, icon for CMOs and for actually all of us and it's really changed the way that people look at at sound and music in
0: general yeah i mean i think you know podcasting alone is its own mini revolution it's incredible Oh, is that what we're doing? a podcast? <laughs> no, we're doing what we normally do, which is chat, bad, but someone is yeah. gonna uh is gonna record it, you know, all those times we said, boy, I wish someone would record the stuff we talk about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but very true <laughs> but but it is uh it is having a moment, and I think you're right. There's something about uh, the devices, uh, and I think you know, when I saw you uh, up here in New York a couple weeks ago, uh, one of your colleagues was also talking about just the scientific studies of you know, kind of the power of sound on, on the, you know, the human condition. Yes. Uh,
1: the human condition is an emotional being. And I feel very little brings out emotion more than the harmonics and the emotion and the
0: overall sense of music and sound. It's primal. I mean, listen, you're, you're an actual, like real legit composer, uh, you know, creative expression coming through music. I mean, is that, uh, I mean, like kind of maybe like what happens in your world? Like if you want to express something, you know, you don't, I mean, do you start physically writing stuff? How does how does it, how does it work? Well, I'm a a trained classical
1: composer, a legitimate composer, or I was <laughs> many, many years ago. Now I think I'm known more for things that I write that are two seconds long than certainly any long-form piece I've written, which is uh, a whole other story. But I think in general, when I um, take on a project, if it's a uh, commercial, that music still comes out of me as a composer. There's still a a grain of uh, heading into the unknown and looking for inspiration. And most of the times for me, inspiration is just uh, sitting down and thinking for a minute or two or trying a few things out, and then it turns into something else, and it develops like that. Now, that Has changed over the years because now we actually like to sit down and take stock of where some of these clients have been and what their competitors are doing and get briefed by um, what their needs are and what they're looking for emotionally and what they're looking for. And then we go into our process. We have a process in house that um really gets into the weeds with these uh, companies and then once I have the brief then I feel a lot more comfortable like I'm writing for something that actually matters
0: yeah and and I we're gonna get to some specifics in a second but but overall are you feeling like um, you're you're bringing more process than you used to like how much, how yeah much. so that's changed the what we're bringing is
1: really, a, um, we're bringing some knowledge with us about how to do it so that we feel it really becomes an integral, as integral as the visual. Hmm. It's really important that people know what they're doing and they know what they're looking for. Hmm. So I do feel we're bringing a, um, a process that we've developed
0: over the last uh, 20 years to this. Cool. Well, well, we're going to talk some specifics now. Uh, we thought it might be fun to uh, to play a few and, and, and break them down. So uh, we're going to <laughs> okay. we're, we're, we're going to play this first one, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how you came about it. So, John, let, let's play the first one. Only pay for what you need.
1: Liberty, 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 liberty,
0: liberty. <laughs> now, uh, I that's that's for for Liberty Insurance, I think, right? Yes, that's for Liberty
1: Mutual <laughs> Insurance. <laughs> Boy, does <laughs> that run a lot, all the
0: time. Yeah, so so talk a little bit about the process. So uh, I, did, I don't know if you worked with Goodby on this, or how I, did this did. thing happen?
1: I did work with Goodby, and um, there was a brief, and we followed the brief, and then I did a few things that, which I normally do. I try to take briefs and then interpret it the way that I feel would be more interesting, Mm. and this is one of those that where I just uh, personally wrote this one, and it was um, just trying to make something that's a little hooky, and I used Liberty instead of Liberty Mutual because I felt that was a little bit of a tongue twister for something to sing well, and it um, it's a cute little um, jingle, I guess. Earworm. It's, it's an earworm. My worm <laughs> it's earworm. Thank you, Candy. <laughs> little little earworm. That's exactly what it is.
0: But but as the brief came in, I mean, what what was the objective? I know we sit there and go, well, it's very obvious, you know, say, you know, get the word, get the brand out there. But was there anything in the brief that you kind of went, oh, okay, this 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 is why I'm going to do it this way?
1: Well, what's interesting is this was actually worked with the agency. This was not a full. Um, a full process of what we normally do. We did some of it, but it wasn't the full process. And what we realized in this was um, that they really needed to hear their their logo they needed mm. to hear it it not just writing a few notes they, they really needed to get the word liberty out there because people didn't really retain what liberty mutual was versus another insurance ad mm. and so we were pretty focused on making it a vocal mnemonic and we tried several things <clears throat> that were notes but they really didn't retain anything Hmm. And actually, Goodby was very much—they were in line with us, feeling that it should be a vocal um, mnemonic, something that would really um, become an earworm, as you say. Hmm.
0: Well, I, lo- I love your phrase. They wanted to hear their logo. I'd never heard that before. I think that's great. Hmm. All right, so we're g- we're going to play another one now, and uh, then we'll chat about that. So, John, fire away. We are farmers. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was, uh, that's, um, it's funny because that particular logo was originally written for uh, a package of commercials uh, for Ruben Pasteur for their farmers campaign. And then it it had so much memorabilia that they started running it on everything that they did. Mm. And it was really just supposed to be one of their little campaigns. So um, that was, I guess, a very quick uh, hit hit single, as I call it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, uh, well, that's interesting. So uh, if you compare- it was supposed to
1: be fun. And obviously it is fun. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. You know that, that that gave me a little bit of, uh, of fun on a logo.
0: Yeah, well, what what I there's it's you know th- these things seem um, you know very you know it's, oh it's just a cute little jingle but I mean an inordinate amount of work goes into them which which I think is oh, uh, what, there's what, so what, much work what, that goes into what, these what, things what, what a lot of people don't realize um, which which is which is great but what I, what I love about this one though uh, you know obviously it says the name of the brand but but I love the bum ba dum bum bum
1: yeah, and was was
0: yeah. was there was there a bump in the road on the bump and um bump bump, I and mean, was everyone on board with that?
1: It's funny. This is one of the few projects that I've been involved on where I basically I got the brief and talked to the clients. I took a walk around the block. This is uh, when we were at the old office on uh, on Main Street. Main Street, and uh, just took a little walk, and I figured out what I wanted to do. I went back. I did it. I did two or three versions of of something in this, in this uh, field, and uh, they picked it. I filled it out once they picked it, and it started to run, and it ran and ran and ran, <laughs> and uh, never expected it to be what it is. I mean, I've written things that I thought were really good that never will see the light of the day, and then you do some things that, you know, you, you do it so quickly that um, you can't believe what it became.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I mean, I guess that is, you know, the whole world of uh, pop culture. You know, the things you think are going to be great rarely are, <laughs> and the ones. It's
1: true. I read somewhere this is the number one um, logo of
0: uh, or ID of uh,
1: today. That piece.
0: Oh, interesting. I, as we chat here, I feel like uh, we've invented something. I like this idea of the sound logo. I don't know if that's a thing, but uh, I loved your phrase, hear their logo. So I wonder if these are sound logos. I don't know. It's very, very cool. What this also, I was, when I was walking over here, I was thinking too about the bump and dump bump, bump. It, it reminded me of, uh, I don't know if you know the story and if it's even true, but apparently, when um McCartney was writing yesterday, the original uh, lyric was, was Scrambled Eggs. Do you know the story? I've heard
1: heard the same story, but why don't you why don't <laughs> No, you no
0: to, do, you, do you know you probably know better than me.
1: No, I it I just heard that <clears throat> you know he was searching for a lyric and he had a melody, so he said scrambled eggs. And you know, it's just how how sometimes when you're in the process, certainly as a, a songwriter, which I, I do you know, I, I still write songs that um sometimes you get the melody first sometimes you get Mm. the lyric first and sometimes uh you get a little bit of both and to fill in you just sometimes need to come up with little hooks that are what they are and certainly scrambled eggs. He knew he'd never
0: call it that, but what a great place to start. <laughs> I know. Can you I, I, I my dream is that uh, someone from Denny's is listening in. They're like get me yesterday and we're going to redo it with scrambled eggs. We gotta... <laughs> <laughs> well uh... I'm sure that uh,
1: you put a a, a little worm in someone's head there. (laughs)
0: All right. So we're going to go from lyrics. Now we're going to do, as you said, sometimes it's a simple two note. uh, And I want to play this one. We'll talk about this one. So, John, let's go to the third one. So that, of course, is from our friends at Honda. So maybe you talk a little bit about this one.
1: Well. This is a, um, you cannot believe how much work went into that because we did, we did have to go through, um, a significant amount of process and some testing on this. And, um, this was something that we tried many, many different things. And, uh, what's, What's crazy about it is here we end up with a two note melody. <laughs> but now everyone knows what it is. And they wanted, they had the idea of putting it on the beginning of every commercial mm-hmm. because some cars have logos, some don't. And um, they wanted an attention grabber at the very beginning. So this was, it had to be short, it had to be simple, and it had to somehow give the impression of Honda being two notes and being something that you can almost imagine saying Honda, you know, so the first note would be higher than the second. Mm. And so it, it had to really be simple. It had to be uh, something that would easily go into any kind of music, which is uh, another whole problem that we encounter when you're doing anything pitched. You have to really do some homework figuring out how it's going to go into the next piece that they play. So it had its own set of concerns, and um, it's amazing how simple it is, and how much work went into that piece.
0: Oh, I'm sure. And and how much of it, I mean, did you, because, you know, they had their their old jingle back in the day. Some of us of a certain age may remember the whole, you know, Honda. You and I, yeah. We make it simple. Um, So they had something, I mean, as part of It had
1: something that was not... um, totally dissimilar in some ways at one point a little piece of it
0: that and, and was that part of your discovery did you kind of go into the you know the dna yes of the i mean
1: we we went into it and obviously we listened to anything that they had done and anything anyone else in that space had done to try to discuss the things that made sense and not made sense
0: well, uh, well, well, fun fact is uh, the original Honda launch a uh, thousand years ago uh, in America was done by Shia Day, uh, and Honda used to just do uh, motorcycles, and uh, the first dad was uh, introducing the Honda car. Really? And, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, Lee, Lee was always telling me that uh, he was always bummed on the final pitch because he said, you know, we, we wrote such a great line for them. I said, oh, what was the line? He said, uh, our philosophy is simple and uh that that you know that was the idea so i think you know when when I, when i first started hearing you know your mnemonic and remembering the jingle and remembering that Clow story i thought oh this is this is really a kind of a great great piece just a simple two note idea
1: well that's uh
0: and that's leave for you too right <laughs> exactly yeah you know what i was also thinking uh on this honda thing you know and i don't know if you guys got involved with this or do get involved with this i should say so does this now become a piece of music when you open the door like is this the you know is this the welcome into the car is this you know when you turn on the ignition is this on the phone you know how much does sonic branding truly uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, infect in the most positive way the rest of the brand experience?
1: Well, now clients are looking at that. And we are, in fact, doing some work with uh, several clients that are an extension well beyond what we're, we're just writing. In the case of Honda, I don't know. But I do know that in several of the new projects that we're involved with right now, there are they are integrating the, the, the sounds into the brand itself, into uh, many other places that it can go.
0: And so, so that must be kind of interesting. So, so the brief comes in and basically says, oh, you know, Jonathan, yeah, that's great. Thanks for the, you know, the, the, the TV and, and the online video. But we need you know, whatever sound you create to be you know, in 19 different applications in the company.
1: And we are doing that now. As well as we're writing for some companies, we're doing overall thematic concepts. So we'll write a piece of music and then we're seeing the different ways that we can put it into shortened versions, into anything such as um, door sounds and welcome and greeting Mm -hmm. things, or into end mnemonics, or uh, arrange it in different ways for their music that goes online, and that uh, is used in many different applications. So that's really becoming interesting, and certainly it's, uh, it also attests to going back to the fact that CMOs are really starting to appreciate how important the overall sound and music really is in the uh, DNA of a brand.
0: And do, are you also... I, I think it's fascinating because do, do you think part of this is uh, the visual assault of our lives that we're almost blind now so now we have to work on another sense? Well, it,
1: it is. We are definitely leaning on music and sound a lot and more and more when we... Certainly the integration of all the devices in our life and when we're asking a box to do things for us we realize that it's still very primal voice and voice yeah and voice activation and so much of it in the near future is going to be that i'm talking about 2 years from now it's already happening now obviously but it will be deeper and deeper into our uh, culture
0: and then and then are the people that you're hiring uh, I mean, you've you've always you know hired great talent. You've always had great taste, uh, you know, in the composers you bring in. But are you finding that you need people who are doing music and more? Are you are you seeing people like at the Berkleys of the world? Do they have um, you know different um, you know courses now in sonic management, sonic creation beyond composition?
1: Yes, there's definitely we are definitely pulling in different talent than just a standard composer like uh, m- like myself in many ways. But we are starting to... And we have been working with a young talent that has really grown up on a lot of the devices hmm. that we are actually using. And for them, it's not foreign. It's very close to, to their heart. And it's a natural extension. There are things that we do that... At my age, I find a little bit more unnatural. But some of the people that we're working with now that are in their mid-late 20s, they definitely have grown up with a sensibility of how to manage the new technologies.
0: Yeah, I always felt that the, uh, you know, when you started up your, your Mac um, you know, talking about a device, you know, when you started up your your your, your Mac, that uh, that sound to me just, you know, speaking of the Beatles. I mean, it sounded like a Day in the Life. I mean, I think it was. Was I think it that
1: was the the what they set out to do? Oh yeah, was to just, sound like Day in the Life.
0: Yeah, it seems. Uh, I think the sources that people are going to use. I know that uh, we did some work with Nissan on. Um, this is interesting. The, um, electric cars were too silent. Yes. And so yes, yes. you know, they, when they, so when they would stop on uh, on a street or, or you know you you couldn't hear them, they the engineers at Nissan felt, oh, this could potentially be uh, an issue. You know, this could be a, a road hazard. So I know that there's been some work on. Okay, what sound should a quiet car make?
1: Which <laughs> well, and it's it makes sense because. We're certainly as pedestrians. We walk, and we're expecting to hear something that that makes us aware. And even if it's not, we're not conscious about it, it's a, a unconscious episode in our daily life. So it's, it'll be an it makes interesting, sense.
0: interesting brief. All right. So I'm going I'm to take you back a little bit. Not not all the way back. We're going to go all the way back for a second. But but on this one, uh, I want you to talk about this one because I thought this was one of the best uh, pieces of branding I'd ever heard. So, uh, John, let's play a number four. Yahoo! (laughs) I love that one.
1: Yeah, that was a sweet, that was a a sweet era. Um, (laughs) Well, you you know, uh, I think when they called it Yahoo, then the company itself, I think that this was such a natural extension out of, just the name of the company and um, I was working with uh, Bob Kerstetter I believe was who Mm. I was working with on that and Black Rocket right would that be it I think so so that they had come down and it was a really it was a pretty simple piece and we worked with a great yodeler and um, gave him an idea and it was pretty quick Again, that was uh, probably two or three hours to get the yodeler figured out. And then we just add a little bit of uh, background music to it. And uh, away we went.
0: But that brief that came in, do you recall what they were looking for?
1: That was barely a brief. (laughs) This was really by the seat of our panties. And I... I can't even imagine how many years ago, but certainly Yahoo was not hadn't even barely begun the curve of what it, its uh, lifespan became.
0: Amazing! I love that one. All right, so now I'm going to play uh, my my all time favorite of yours, and um, we we've chatted about this one, so I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you some things that we've talked about, but I think you're going to need to tell the listeners out there. So let's play our our number five, uh, a Jonathan Elias classic. It's one small step for man, one man least for man.
1: All right. Um, So that was the MTV logo, uh, the moon landing logo. And uh, I venture to say 1981, 82, sometime around there. And what happened was we were working with Fred Seibert and Alan Goodman, and they were all part of the original MTV guys. And um, when the idea was introduced to me, I had no idea what they were talking about. (laughs) Because I was living in New York City, and we didn't even have cable ran, you know, didn't even run into the buildings yet. So uh, we couldn't get anything. And we started, uh, we met with them, and what they wanted were iconic pieces of music that were rock-based. And so spent a few nights, and I must have written eight of them with a, a friend of mine. And um, this is the one they picked. And I think the drummer is now a doctor. The bass (laughs) player is off doing research. You know, I pulled in a few friends. And um, uh, the fellow I wrote it with, the two of us were, were there. But we had written so many different styles. And they came in and they picked it. And I still didn't have any idea what I was stepping
0: foot into. I mean, this, I think, for a lot of us, I mean, this literally is part of the soundtrack track of our lives. And what I think, you know, would be interesting to hear about is, did you have any idea when they came in with this notion of MTV, uh, like when they kind of pitched you, hey, we're trying to do this thing with musicians and stuff, did you think this was going to be successful? I mean, what was your reaction to I the thought idea?
1: It, I thought it was silly. <laughs> I was like, huh? okay, but this was our second big gig. I think my first, I had just done the trailers and the TV commercials for the movie Alien, the original. And so I think this was like my second gig, and I was all excited because I think we were going to get paid 1000 or $2,000. It was something outrageous. And I just... Obviously, I had no vision of what the future was. Now, many years later, I started uh, producing records. Uh, Amongst them uh, was uh, one of the bands was Duran Duran. And Mm. they used to laugh about saying that I was the only one that was on MTV more than they were (laughs) at the day. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, uh, I mean, it became obviously so iconic. I remember coming home to my parents' house one day and seeing these kids next door playing that on a uh, tennis racket, making believe that was a guitar. And these little kids were humming it. And I was like, oh, my God, I've really
0: hit the big time now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And and I, I love the fact that they would use it, you know, one of the other powerful things about MTV was visual, so they would do all these kind of interesting shorts, and then once you saw some weird thing and you saw both the logo and you heard, you know, something, you know, that's irconic, let's call it that, I mean, it was unmistakably MTV.
1: Yeah, they they had me rearrange that many, many times, and... Several of the other logos that I had written the first year went out and they used it over the first five years, a bunch of the other ideas. But they always, obviously, this was it since it was on the moon landing.
0: So, uh, I mean, I think this this is probably a good point to talk a little bit about y- your journey and like how you got here. I mean, I was, I was reading that uh, uh, you you started playing music at a very young age, six was it, and uh I mean,
1: I, I started early, and um, I started because I wanted to, which is interesting, because so many of my friends and so many people I know uh, started because their parents made them. But no, I, I enjoyed making up little stories at the piano. So I didn't start out by learning Beethoven, Bach. I pretty much was playing a lot alone. And then I started taking lessons a little bit later and by the time I was uh, 12, 13, I was pretty good. And then when I was 11 years old, I went to my first rock concert. I had a, a hippie cousin that brought me to see The Doors, and that was a unique experience for me as a piano player, a keyboard player, that you could actually do something and be in a band. So I started getting interested in that side of things, also.
0: So thanks to Ray Zarek, we have this uh, incredible body of work for uh, the world of uh, branding and advertising.
1: Uh, didn't we both together work with uh, <laughs> with Ray Menzerrick at one point?
0: Do you I, remember I, that? For did we do something for
1: one of the um, for one of the Apple um, one of the Apple spots? they were trying to get when the music's over i think oh, something really? like that oh
0: really oh yeah and I, I guess he was tough to work with i remember we do, we just tried to get him for uh i remember we did a billboard for for nissan it was it was for a four door truck and the headline was ladies and gentlemen the doors and <laughs> we we couldn't get wow. the the guys left in the band to agree
1: <laughs> yeah they you know they have this uh it's sweet, you know. They have this <laughs> no advertising thing because of uh, Jim Morrison, and well, that's a whole other story. Oh my God! But it was so iconic for me to meet him again so many years later. <laughs> that's being, amazing. Yeah.
0: So, all right. So, so, so you were influenced by rock and roll, and then, uh, and then, and then. So well, what classical
1: happens? music and rock music, and then I. um I'm, let's see, I was in school studying composition and I got into something called synthesizers, the Moog mm. synthesizer particularly. And it was an, it was, boy, what a outdated piece of hardware it was, but it was, you had to patch everything to get a sound at all. So I was um, really getting pretty good at it and certainly found it an interesting um An interesting way to compose. And then someone I knew who knew someone who knew someone said, oh, they're looking for something scary for a trailer, a music for a coming attraction, a trailer they call it. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll send something. And I sent it. And it's not that it was used. It's. I was just still shocked that someone actually listened to it, hmm. because so many times you send things and people don't even bother to listen. Well, they listened. Not only did they listen, they called me, and I was in school in Vermont at the point. At that point, and I drove down, and what they wanted a few changes, and I made them that night, and uh, they used it for Alien. And that really was a big turning point for mm. me because it made me see that I didn't have to become a composition teacher, was, which I had figured my whole life I was going to be teaching in college composition.
0: This Ridley Scott guy, he really, he really knew what was going on, <laughs> didn't he?
1: <laughs> I, I actually went on to do a trailer for Blade Runner, too. But uh, along the way, so not long after that, I'd say another year later, I met John Barry, who Hmm. was the English composer of, amongst others, Out of Africa and all the Bond movies. And we struck up a friendship. And he had me start doing the synthesizer mock-ups of scores that he wanted to do. Back in those days, I I could play two notes at a time. So it would take quite a long time to to do his string and French horn arrangements Hmm. on synthesizers. But it was a great relationship because he really got to hear what he wanted to do in a better form than just a piano. And certainly for some of the scores that he wanted to do that were a little unusual... It got him there quicker. And to me, he became my mentor. That hmm. was, I was 22 years old and I had worked with someone who had five or six Academy Awards. And so I saw the viability of becoming a composer, both in doing TV commercials and later film scores. And I, I really, for the first time, uh, realized that this was
0: going to be my future. Hmm. Amazing. And uh, it, it, it also seems that um, technology uh, starts to drive how you're thinking about things. I mean, you talk about the Moog. I mean, we're talking about uh, these different elements of sonic branding. I mean, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, the how technology plays into all this.
1: Well, it certainly does. And uh, for all of us, our everyday lives, look at uh, when when computers came to becoming actually Something that we could actually send messages. How many people really use stamps and envelopes anymore? <laughs> but there, there, it, it, just it made such a impression on what I could do musically in the earlier part of my career. Um, when I was doing things, there it was. We couldn't sample. Sampling was still not there yet. When I worked on uh, the song "View to a Kill." Um, that was one of the first times that I was able to really use a sample on something mm. that became pop. So recorded, uh, we took the recording from Abbey Road of the Bond score and I put some of the horns in there. And It could only do two seconds at a time, which is silly now because uh, a- any kid who has a uh, garage band could laugh about that now. But two seconds back... In 1986 was a big deal as a sampler, and so I used it for um, sampling and uh, doing some of the unusual sounds in Voodoo Kill, and that was a, a big change for me in the way I looked at technology and the way that um, it was received. So it started out where I was using synthesizers and tape machines, and then. Later on, we used this instrument called a synclavier, which was a integrated digital music synthesizer, although it wasn't really. It wasn't until much later that we really got into samplers. And um, once the Mac came along and it had enough memory, we started really recording things in the computer and uh, tape machines. And in fact, I have kids working for me that are even in their mid to late 20s that had never seen a tape machine, Hmm. a musical tape machine, a 16-track tape machine or a 2-inch machine. So technology is just moving quicker and quicker. And I find it interesting because some things I write with the fact of writing for computers in mind, Hmm. because some things I know are going to work better Um, electronically than they would for acoustic music. Although, for me, I so enjoy writing music for orchestral instruments, and I still do a lot of that with uh, the Universal Music Libraries, which I work with a lot.
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, a question for you is: you know, we we you know, we we come in to work with you, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, not not everything's going to be classical or or even classic rock. And uh, I mean, how how in the world do you stay up to date?
1: Well, I have a team that I think is really good, and. Um, now that I'm at Universal Music, we have um, access obviously to some of the great composers and the great catalogs. So I work with people that are great at what they do. Part of what I think I'm good at is knowing what my limitations are hmm. and uh, getting away from just sonic branding. So if I'm working on a piece, and it's outside of my specific wheelhouse. I still like to do it because it's still an interesting exercise. And sometimes people like the fact when they'll hear something and, and they'll, it'll be a surprise to um, a piece of music that they would expect that would sound one way. And because I'm not as schooled in that particular type of music, I'll come at it at a different way. But now I think some of the strength is really just
0: knowing what you are good at and what you're not. And do you find, uh, and I don't know which is your side hustle, your daily job or your compositions, but when you did stuff like Prayer Cycle and Prayer Cycle 2, which were, you know, kind of big, big compositions, working with a lot of different uh, artists, I mean, how how does that affect your your professional life? Maybe, you know, Maybe talk a little bit about those kinds of projects. Well, I love
1: to do long-form pieces, which are, you know, sometimes symphonic. Sometimes, in a case of uh, something I did called "American River," is really basically a string quartet and a couple of pianos and some country singers—country by real country singers like uh, Johnny Cash and uh, Roseanne Cash and Kristofferson—and. I love working on pieces where I can get human voice involved. The Prayer Cycle was something I did with uh, the London Philharmonic and a lot of different um, singers from throughout the world. And these pieces have a lot more depth for me and emotion, and I feel like as a composer, there's something I love to write, but as a human being, I really need to write it. Hmm. So that's what I look at um those types of pieces and long forms in general for me. They just fulfill another part of my my human need to be a
0: composer and to write hmm. all right, well, before we get to our advice uh section i've I've one another weighty question that I ask you all the time, so I'm going to ask you again so other people can hear. <laughs> You have to say so. You know, on Fridays, for whatever reason, I go into uh, uh, my my phone, and I just want to hear '80s music—just '80s, you know, rock and what have you. And how dead is rock and roll? Is this thing—is—is it ever—is it ever, ever going to come back into any form, or we just—is it just going to be, you know, a small section, you know, next to jazz and, you know, next to hip hop? Well, I mean, uh,
1: the soothsayer part of me would agree that I think it's just going to be a small section next to jazz in the future. However, the the practical side of me sees that um, there are so many musicians that I meet that are guitar players and drummers. And... Uh, less so people who read music, but the fact that uh, guitar is really good training for your ear and um, they're able to bring a sensibility to composition that's very interesting. And so in the way that a lot of young people will have grown up on guitar, they're bringing something. Now, other people now that I'm meeting who are young they were brought up more as percussionists or they mm. were brought up as um, uh, they would play their, their synthesizer. And they make really interesting, good music also. The difference for me is that since I still have a passion for the, for the early sensibilities of rock music, there are certain things I can relate to. And I think their generation is going to relate to certain things that I wasn't able to relate to. So that's what I I say sometimes about being open to um, knowing what you're good at, knowing what you might be short at, and uh, you do the best you can.
0: All right. Well, that's good. That's optimistic. I'll take that. (laughs) <laughs> so the last thing we like to do is uh, just give it give give us one piece of advice. And I think again, because you're starting to see these uh, interesting sonic briefs, and I know people running brands, CMOS, and and you know people running agencies are, are all asking about you know voice and audio stuff. What's a piece of advice?
1: I think to respect it. You know, um, I did so many TV commercials. Uh, over the last forty years, I couldn't even imagine the number. But so many of what, so much of what it was, was last-minute rushing through um, because we're the last stage in the process, and it had to be on air in two days. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it worked out really well, and sometimes it didn't work out as good as it could have. And I think what is really important is to make it a process. Respect your music. Respect your sound. It has such far-reaching abilities. The emotional DNA built into music and sound is so important. And I think do a process, do your homework, put the time in. It's really value it, just like you value a picture. Value it. And I think if you do that, I think that the, the, the creation will live on and on, and it'll it'll have more returns for what you're looking for it to do.
0: All right, Jonathan, that was excellent. We really appreciate it. And uh, so thanks for uh, all the magic you've brought to our ears, and uh, thanks for doing the show.
1: Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. It was good talking to you.
0: You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, brought to you by TBWA Shide Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.